Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. After four years, four long, cold, bitter years, Paris Saint-Germain finally have their opportunity to avenge their darkest of dark nights as they travel to Catalonia to face FC Barcelona in, in a repeat of the fixture, which for many is unforgettable, but for Le Parisien is an indelible mark on their history and sparked the club's record-breaking purchase of the player who helped put them to the sword. I am, of course, referring to the rematch of the remontada. Meanwhile, elsewhere on the European football scene this week, Ligue 1 leaders Lille welcome Eredivisie leaders Ajax for what promises to be one of the more intriguing and certainly unmissable ties of the Europa League round of 16. Uh, we'll be previewing these matches as well as discussing some of the key games from the weekend, including PSG's victory over Nice, a shock defeat for Lyon at the hands of Montpellier, and Marseille's attempt to break their long-standing curse against Bordeaux, uh, a fixture which our very own Mohamed Ali dubbed last week as Bordeaux's Cup final. Um, I'm Jake Smales. Uh, I'm joined uh, this week again by uh, by Mohamed Ali. Mo, as a as a passionate OM supporter, how many times have you rewatched Sergi Roberto's goal from that match? <laughs> I think it was um, in the in the triple figures in the in the first twenty four hours. <laughs> it was yeah. yeah. It was great. Those, um, well, various clips that came out after that, um, but particularly I enjoyed that one that had. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the like the whoever was in charge of the kind of camera work of the night, kind of like pointing at various different things and getting all the different angles. So you had like you know Emery with his head in his hands, and you had the PSG fans and the PSG players, and cutting to the Barcelona players. It was an incredible, incredible scene. Um, I'm also joined by Kale Stockwell. Uh, Kale, can you remember where you were for that historic moment? I think I was probably at home. The timing of those games in North America isn't really conducive for going out anywhere, so probably watching alone at home, freaking out a little bit. <laughs> alone at home, freaking out a little bit. I was, um, I was in a in a bar somewhere in the north of France, um, and as you can imagine, yeah, the the reaction was pretty. I was actually in a in a different city, Rouen, not in not in Paris at all, but. It was very much, you felt like you were in a home, a home bar, you know, full of PSG fans. It was, I think somebody threw a chair. And the next day when I went to work, one of my colleagues said he was embarrassed for France, despite being someone who had no passing interest in, in football. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about, about that match. Um, as we'll be discussing PSG's Ligue 1 match in a, in a bit more detail, I'd like to start, guys, if we may, um, with Lille's clash against Ajax. Uh, Lille were arguably France's most impressive European representatives this season, uh, with their performances in a tricky group containing Serie A leaders AC Milan, uh, Scottish champion Celtic, and a decent uh, Sparta Prague side. Um, impressing. They finished second in that group, uh, but won plaudits for their comprehensive 3-0 win over Milan at San Siro. They welcome an Ajax side who dropped down from the Champions League after finishing third in a group containing Liverpool and Atalanta, a match which for many uh, Lille fans will probably be a much-needed relief from the ongoing court case at the club with uh, Marcelo Bielsa, the former coach who is uh, suing Lille for unfair dismissal, I believe. And they recently came out that he uh, is claiming in court that he came to blows with 
former sporting director Luis Campos. So, yeah, uh, more to follow on that, I'm sure. Anyway, Lille still top of Liga, and despite drawing 0-0 with Brest this weekend. Uh, Mo, how, how do you feel they'll approach this game? Obviously, they're challenging for the for the league title domestically, but this is by no means a, 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 you know, a, a, an easy match, considering this is only the round of of uh, 32 of the Europa League. Do you, do you expect to see a first choice 11 and a, and a serious approach for this one? Yeah, absolutely. And that's only because um, Lille probably have on either side of the league fixtures uh, relatively simple. Uh, league I'm going to say relatively simple, but, um, uh, you know, it, it, could, it, could, it could be much worse. And I think because of the way that they've been uh, commendable during the Europa League group stage, um, in the in the in a very tough group, and you know they they performed really really well. But also, for them to add further credibility credibility to the project that they've built, the players that they have, um, Ajax will be I think a fantastic um, opportunity to sort of show extra credentials. Um, and yeah, I think I think it will be a great opportunity for them. Obviously, it's it's an Ajax side who um, who are also on. A great run of form, who are, I think as well, you know, clear um, at the top of the Dutch league as well. Um, I think it'll be a great test for them. Um, and actually, for once, I think it'll be one that Lille, um, at least um, specifically in the first leg, being at home, can actually uh, stamp the authority on. Yeah, it's in- it'll be interesting to see how they approach this one, um, because obviously they were so kind of emphatic, I guess, in that away win. Uh, over uh, Milan getting the three goals at, at San Siro. So we know we're capable of those kind of results um, and performances. In, in light of that, Kale, how do you see Lille setting up for this one? Do you think, as Mo says, they'll kind of aim to stamp their authority in, in the first leg? Or, or do you think we'll see a more conservative approach for this one and kind of perhaps Gautier take the chains off a little bit in the in the second leg? Because this, this Ajax side have scored 68 goals domestically and conceded just 15. So... It's going to be going to be challenge uh, challenging. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I think it's primed for a really interesting matchup. I mean, Ajax are still they're not exactly obviously the same team that almost went to the final a few years ago, Champions League final a few years ago. But they definitely still have those same characteristics in terms of moving, putting a lot of men forward ahead of the ball, a lot of runners. They can be a really difficult team in transition. There's still tons of skill in that side. But I think Lille are just, I think they should go in with a lot of confidence. You know, I think they are probably the team in the year that I would say are the most comfortable in terms of their game plan, what they do well, how they approach each match. I think they sh- they'll probably come out the same way that we've seen them come out in every match this season, which is, you know, ready to assert themselves defensively if that's what needs to happen but also clearly capable going forward and comfortable in possession. I think they're a team that's really good on both sides of the ball. And I think that 4-4-2, that they're just so compact and good at forming in the medium and deep blocks, I think is going to frustrate Ajax a lot. And I think if you can keep that up and uh, you know hold them back through the first half, and I think they'll be in a really good place to start breaking them down. Like this, this Ajax side is good, but they do leave themselves obviously very much exposed in transition. And I think if we know anything from Lille, they have the talent, especially along their top four, to really make you pay 
when you leave gaps and spaces on the counterattack. So I'm really excited for this match. I think it's going to be a really interesting kind of contrast of styles. And like I said, I think Gauche and Lille should feel really good about this and go into it, you know, thinking and hoping that they're going to win. Interesting. And, and Mo, how how do you see um, how do you see this tie uh, playing playing out? Do you see uh, Galtier's men making it through to the round of sixteen, or do you see, you know, uh, the challenge being too significant for them at this point? Do you know? I hope so because um, obviously Lille have taken to the Europa League very very well, and like I said, you know, it's very important for them to. Um, not only stamp a little bit of credibility uh, for the season that they're having, but also, um, you know, French clubs not really take the Europa League that well, particularly in the knockout stages uh, very recently. Um, so, you know, they are going to be playing at home. Like I said, they've got uh, simple, relatively simple games coming up. So it's imperative that they actually just first of all focus on building a lead uh, this Thursday before. Uh, looking to consolidate whatever they have in, in Amsterdam next week. Um, and for that, obviously, they have to look at sort of the front four, the attacking four, in particular, Jonathan David, who's, who's sort of broke, broken up in 2021 so far. Um, you know, Ajax have won both of you know the head-to-head games that they had in the Champions League uh, season before last. So, you know, they'll know Lille very well and sort of what, uh, what Galtier uh, likes to operate. Uh, with so um, yeah, you know, it, uh, for me, it's ha- it has to be Lille. Uh, if they're going to qualify, they're going to have to pull off a result this Thursday. It will indeed. I, I'm I'm quietly confident for for Le Dog uh, in this one as well, given just how how well they performed. And I do think this is a more experienced side, particularly in Europe. The maturity they've shown uh, so far this season compared to. Uh, one season ago when they were kind of making their cutting their teeth if you like in that Champions League group with uh, Ajax Valencia and Chelsea I think it's a very good chance for them indeed anyway we have provided a little aperitif uh, but now it's time to get stuck into this week's main event le plat principal if you like it is of course Barcelona versus Paris Saint-Germain the Neymar derby Uh, Mauricio Pochettino facing his own bitter rivals, given his affinity with uh, Espanyol. Um, the biggest point of team news is, of course, that Sergi Roberto, the man who sent the city of Barcelona into rapture four years ago, is out. No, I'm joking, of course. Neymar will be missing here uh, due to injury, uh, which is, of course, a big blow to Les Parisiens. Um, Exactly. This is exactly the kind of match, Kale, you could argue that Neymar was signed for, if not the fixture, I guess, that Neymar was was signed uh, as a result of and arguably for going forward. Do, do you see this being a big psychological blow to Paris Saint-Germain? Um, and uh, also, how do you expect the Brazilian will feel for, for missing um, this fixture, this homecoming, if you like? I don't know how Neymar will feel. I mean, I'm sure he'd rather be playing in this tie. I mean, as for PSG, I think, I don't know about psychologically, but certainly on the pitch, they're definitely going to miss him. I think Neymar not being in the lineup, for me, probably takes PSG from maybe being slight favorites to underdogs against Barcelona. Uh, Now, when I look at the side and I look at 
Barcelona and how they've been performing recently, I just think really this has to be Kylian Mbappe's moment. Like this Barcelona defense is not nearly the same as it has been in past years. It's the definitely the weakest part of their side. And I expect that PSG might spend a fair amount of time in this tie playing on the counterattack. And I just think this is the moment where Mbappe just has to show up. He can he can make this Barca defense pairing hurt and he's got to do it. Like PSG need him, really need him in this in this fixture. Mo, would you agree with Kale that 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 I mean it seems obvious in a way that Mbappe could be the difference maker in this tie, or or do you see that that lying elsewhere in the team, you know, in the likes of of Kale or Navas or or Marquinhos in defense or or Marco Verratti in, in midfield. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, it has to be because, um, like we just discussed in the Lille game, you know, goals are going to be on the menu, um, particularly if they want to build a commanding first leg lead and something to at least uh, build towards uh, the second leg. And for that, they're going to be have to, you know, going to have to look at their um, key man in, in attack. And I think Mbappe has probably been a bit. Disappointed, but disappointed is a bit of a strong word, but not as flash as, as he's been domestically uh, in the Champions League. Um, he's he's going to have to step up, and I think um, you know PSG will be looking towards him for creativity to sort of um, get past the rather ramshackle Barcelona defence um, and looking to um, expose some of the gaps that were sort of very clear um, that Bayern Munich exposed, for example, last uh, last summer. Um, and with, you know, with Neymar out, with um, Di Maria going to be out as well, you know, mm-hmm. Keane and Icardi are going to be, um, they're going to be hard workers. They're going to be, if they do start, particularly in Keane's case, they're going to offer something different, but they're going to play off um, Mbappe's sort of, um, you know, forward forward approach, and yeah, essentially, if if they're going to get a result tomorrow, if they if they are going to bring something back to the capital, um, it's it's likely going to come from Kylian Mbappe. And I think if Mbappe has a poor game, as has been the case for much of the first part of the group stages, then it's it's nigh on almost certain that Paris Saint Germain going to have a going to have a um, you know relatively poor game as well. Uh, you know, Barcelona are there for the taking. They've been fantastic recently. Um, you know, coming off a off a long slump, um, which is a shame because they've actually won like a lot of you know a lot of games. Where they've probably lost perhaps two of their last fifteen, I think, uh, since since early December. But you know, they still don't look at, at, like the Barcelona of, of old. You know, they've been dispatched by Atletico Madrid. They've been dispatched by Juventus in the in the Super Cup and in the Copa del Rey. They've looked a bit um, off the off the ball, but they've scored many many goals recently. So, you know, you, I, I don't begrudge them getting goals tomorrow um, with, with, with Messi and especially Griezmann coming back into good one. Yeah, you've both kind of alluded to it there that this Barca side perhaps a few months ago kind of PSG would have been looking at this game, this kind of game and this kind of matchup quite favourably. Um, but now, of course, the tables have turned Somewhat, obviously, Barca lost three 0 to Juventus in their last European match. But, but as you both as you both mentioned, they're you know they've been on this good run recently. I think it's one defeat in their last thirteen, um, which coincidentally is one defeat in twenty twenty one. They're still uh, third in La Liga, 
Um, Kale, as, as someone who I who I see tweeting um, a little bit more about La Liga, other than perhaps kind of a defensive vulnerability which could be exploited by the likes of of Kylian Mbappe, what do you think we can expect uh, from this Barcelona side on the pitch tomorrow? I think we're there's going to be a really interesting battle or there potentially could be a really, really interesting battle is in midfield. And I'm really interested to see exactly how Pochettino lines up and what formation he chooses formation, I guess in quotes, because he's been shifting a lot mid game. But I think, you know, if I were to guess, I would suggest that he probably is going to play Verratti and Paredes again. And I think this might be actually a good match to play a three and play with Verratti, Paredes and Gay. I say that because recently I watched uh, Barca play against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey, and I thought Sevilla, especially in the first half, were really able to assert themselves in midfield. I thought they were able to do that because they just have a lot of energetic workers in there. <laughs> Even Rakitic was in there, so maybe he's not that doesn't fit that profile right now. But guys like Yuan uh, Jordan and uh, Fernando really just put a ton of pressure and really kind of physically outbattled that Barcelona midfield and it led to a lot of chances in transition for Sevilla. I would also say, you know, one thing that I think is really worth watching is because of the because Barca is a little bit weaker at the back, I think hopefully what you'll see from PSG is a really strong pre- press. I think putting this back line under more pressure and keeping the ball from getting into those midfielders like Frank de Jong or you know, Busquets kind of lost a step, but keeping it from their better ball handlers and making those two center backs play out, I think could be a real factor. And I think having a lot enough pace and pressure up front could really influence the game. You know, I think both these teams are, I would say, like legitimately weak in certain areas. I would say PSG, we've said it over and over again, mm-hmm. are really weak at fullback. And I think that's going to be a stressor, especially dealing with Alba down the flank and his connection with Messi and the way that Griezmann's, you know, starting to play a little more naturally out wide. But I also think, like we've said, that Barcelona backline is definitely fallible and can be gotten at, especially speedy in transition. So I think you could, those are some of the dynamics that you might be looking for. If I had to, um, to push you both now, uh, just one word, answers you know no explanation whatsoever who do you see making it through to the quarterfinals uh mo i'll come to you first barcelona and what about you kale yeah barcelona interesting well for the sake of our french football ties i'm gonna back uh from paris and uh hope that we see something special uh from them tomorrow and in this tie as well. Uh, they go into this match uh, having inched closer to the top of Ligue 1 with a win over Nice at the Parc des Princes, albeit a match which they were run fairly close by the visitors, um, winning 2-1. Um, Kale, this was a heavily rotated PSG side, um, obviously, but what did you make of their performance? Was it another kind of more laborious win, I suppose, that we've kind of seen so far under under Maurizio Pochettino from this side? Uh, I thought the first half they looked really good. But I also thought that Nice got a lot of their tactics wrong in the first half, and it kind of gifted PSG a little bit more space to operate. Especially, you know, Nice 
moves into this sort of 4-1-4-1 medium block. And I think the way that uh, PSG was playing that double pivot, especially with Paredes deep, it just gave Paredes so much time on the ball and it really, really hurt Nice throughout the first half. I mean, the amount of times that he was able to play really kind of easy switch balls to Mbappe just in the gap in between those lines, between the two banks of four. I've counted at least, I think, maybe four times. And then Mbappe was just able to make like really simple progressive runs. And I thought they were they were looking good throughout that half. But in the second half, I think Nice kind of tied things up a little bit better. They they were still in that 4-1-4-1, but it dropped into more of a 4-4-2, and they were able to put more pressure on PSG in midfield. And I think the concern for PSG supporters in that second half was just how easy it was for Nice to transition. I mean, if Nice has one thing, it's really shifty, slippery, good ball technical ball handlers, especially on in the wide areas like uh, Claude Maurice and Lopes and uh, Guiri. They have guys that can move through the channels really effectively. And in the second half, I thought that's what you were seeing. You know, they were able to recover the ball out wide and then just really drive at that PSG back line. And I thought they were put under a significant amount of pressure. I would also say, you know, if we're, we're, if we're looking ahead to this Barcelona match, I thought Moise Kin had a, had a good game. You know, he was, I thought, quality in front of net, in front of goal. But I would maybe look to play a guy like Pablo Sarabia for that match because Welkin was good in, at the offensive end. I thought he was a real liability defensively. And I think, you know, Kerr obviously isn't anything to write home about, but if you're going to play someone on the flank with Kerr or even Florenzi, I think you'd probably be more well-suited to put someone like Sarabia, who's just a harder, more diligent, effective defensive player, I think. Interesting indeed, because I did see a lot of praise for uh, for Moise Ken's performance, at least in an offensive uh, sense. Um, I want I want to talk a little bit about Nice, um, if we may. There's, you know, I've seen a, a fair amount of positivity over this um, performance from them. Um, you know, particularly regarding, I mean, from my perspective, I thought they looked a lot more fluid in possession than I've seen them, um, particularly kind of in the early days of Adrian Oseo's reign, which is perhaps to be expected. But do we think kind of uh, some of some of their kind of more frustrating performances were down to the system they were playing in, Mo? Because Kale mentions this kind of 4-3-3 or I guess 4-1-4-1, if you like, system they were playing. And I thought they looked much more impressive than than when, you know, Oseo was persisting with this kind of 3-4-3 with... Ren Adelaide playing as like a, a wing back, I suppose, or like a wide midfielder, you know. Um, do you think a, a, a change of system perhaps is, is, is beneficial for Nice here? Um, it's hard to say, really. I don't think Nice are a very con- um, coherent side just quite yet. And I think a lot of that has to go down to some of the tactical decisions or say has, has pursued. And like you mentioned, you know, he's gone from um, sort of a, a weird sort of three um back, uh, three in the back sort of base formation but also um to what they had in the park and very recently four one four one slash four three three and it's and it's looked well i think the latter has looked well and i think he'll be using that to build on over the next couple of games i'll be very interested to see how they fare on wednesday in the um in the rescheduled league game at the velodrome see if 
you know they've made a more definitive move away from three at the back. Uh, but obviously, with the, with additional raft of changes, for example, Saliba and Todibo won't play. Um, he may have to sort of continue to shuffle the cards again. But like you said, they looked a lot, um, you know, better. I suppose, um, you know, absorbing Paris Saint Germain quite well, pushing them um, for a good amount, of, you know, a good extent of time, particularly in the second half. Um, you know, only through the goal that they capitalised from Marquinhos' mistake, but also him hitting the crossbar again. I think it's definitely um, a base to improve on um, because that three of the back sort of experiment did not work. And, I, you know, I thought they were shipping goals, a lot of goals and very, very simple goals as well. Um, but it looks like Oseas finally, well, I mean, with the addition of, of the January um, moves that, that have led to, uh, you know, more defenders coming in, um, you know he's 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 moved to he's moved to a uh, a a tactical setup that can bring a little bit better um, reward. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you do have to say that 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 uh, defensive duo of Saliba and Turibo is obviously going to has been key to to kind of uh, them upping their, their game, particularly in a match of this of this caliber um, as well. Um, th- the last thing I want to touch on from this really. Um, Kale, if I may, um, is Ronnie Lopez. Obviously, he scored here, uh, which was actually the first goal that Mauricio Pochettino has conceded um, at the Parc des Princes. Um, Lopez is obviously someone who um, kind of cut his teeth, made his name, if you like, in, in Ligan with Monaco before things kind of went slightly awry. And he then moved to Sevilla, but but never seemed to kind of get, get comfortable in, in Andalusia. Um what have you made of his return more generally in, in Ligue 1 from, from what you have seen? Do you think, you know, we saw flashes, for example, in that goal of, of a guy who's capable of, of, of reaching the potential that perhaps we thought he had, you know, three, four seasons ago back at, when he was at Monaco? I mean, bluntly, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> he's been okay since he's come back. I, I mean, to be fair to him, I don't think, I think there's been a lot of people, a lot of players that at Nice that have underperformed this season. And I don't necessarily know if that has everything to do with the player. I think, you know, kind of what Mo was alluding to in terms of this, this side could just really use some consistency (laughs) in terms of management, in terms of formation, in terms of just a tactical identity. And then maybe you'll see some of these players start to, I don't know, come back to like have a little bit more confidence and assert themselves a little better. But I think if you're going to wait around to see if uh, Lopes is going to, you know, turn back to the player that he was for kind of like a season, maybe a season and a half at Monaco, I think you're going to be waiting a long time. You know, I, I do think they made some strange, strange moves, bringing players in in the summer and getting rid of other players that I thought were, you know, very effective or guys that Vieira just didn't use. Like it's nice to see a guy like Zian Melida back in the lineup. I thought he was really underutilized all of last season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, in short, uh, no, I don't think he's going to be the difference maker. <laughs> no. for Nice. I do think they have lots of players there that can be like, I think Guiri is a good player. I really like Claude Maurice. You know, they have guys that can do the job. I just don't think that we should be holding our breath. 
No, that's fair enough. An, an explosive finish, but perhaps not an explosive uh, comeback um, to France overall. Um, so, yeah, so, so as I say, Paris Saint-Germain now one point off Lille at the top of the league. Um, elsewhere in the Ligue 1 title race, Lyon hosted Montpellier uh, this weekend, uh, knowing that a win would take them top of the table, that coming before their title rivals were playing. Um, Legon was still without uh, key defender Jason Denea. They welcomed a Montpellier side who'd been under a lot of scrutiny in recent weeks, but had secured back-to-back wins in Ligue 1 and the Coupe de France this week and looked to be recovering some momentum and some form. The fact remained, however, that this was the second best attack in the league coming up against the second worst defence in the league. You could, as a Montpellier fan, have been forgiven for fearing the worst. But instead, a spirited performance saw La Payade secure a famous win to put another dent in Ligon title aspirations. Um, we'll come on to, to, to Leon in a minute, but Kale, I'll come to you first on this one. How, how impressed were you with this Montpellier performance? What did you make of them? I'm going to be a bit of a downer in saying that I think if you played this match 10 times, Lyon would win nine of them. I, I, I could not <laughs> believe that they, they couldn't score another goal. Uh, I didn't think Montpellier were very good at the back. I think they allowed like over three XG in this match, which is really bad. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't think they were great. I thought Sevanye was really good. But uh, besides that, and Ferry worked really hard. But besides that, I thought they were pretty lucky to get a result. Mo, do you agree that that Leon were the, sorry that yeah that, that Leon were unlucky here? I mean, looking at the the, the, the stats as uh, Kale pointed out, I've just got the XG up in front of me now. It was three point two two for Leon, one point four eight for for Montpellier. Yeah, was was this uh, just a, a really really unlucky day for Legon? Uh, you know, I would even call it unlucky. I, if, if they do manage to, if they are in a situation where they lose the lead by two points, you can look at that game. You can look at that game and say, you know, well, that's that's where we've lost it. Um, it, it, it it's, it's massively frustrating for them, I imagine, um, only because we've mentioned a lot of times. Um, you know, when we've mentioned extreme on this podcast, we mentioned Leon a lot because of the potency of Depay, Cadavera, and Nikambi as well. And more often than not, I think in practically every game, bar I think one, um, yeah, one or two, and that's probably the the, 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 the result they had at Rennes a couple of weeks ago, but also the, the game at the Parc de France, which was very backs to the wall. They've been very, very potent going forward, and the XG statistics and the, the the match statistics reflect that um and this is probably the highest that they've had um for for a long long time um as well um the quality of chances were there and they just didn't take them and the fact that montpellier got two i point to the first goal savania's uh, header if you have a look at the uh you know where delop in, in in fact picked up the ball um with that wonderful uh, outside of the the right but boot cross two Leon players uh, Paqueta being one of them they just gave up they just gave up mm. thinking that you know Ristich was going to pass to Delor and Delor would sort of you know doesn't have the physical capability to run but he just darted between them like one quick change of pace and direction and then put that wonderful cross in and I was thinking that is super super amateurish in particular and I think that just goes to show you know 
with Leon, uh, it does sort of hurt their seriousness in, in, in you know, of their title credentials because this is a result that, you know, that was forewarned, obviously, with their 1-0 defeat at home to Mets as well um, as a sort of a sucker punch result as something that they can absolutely negate going forward. And it's happened again. And this time, um, you know, with, with some questionable goalkeeping with a spillage of balls, um, you know, that led to Wahi's goal uh, later on, but also... Um, in particular, Leon um, just not not converting the chances that have fallen to them. Um, it's you know they they don't have any European credentials at the moment. Um, it's one game every seven days for them from now to the end of the season. Obviously, notwithstanding the cup, um, that you know that, that this shouldn't happen. But you know it is ninety minutes, and anything you know anything can happen. And Montpellier in the end. Like Kale said, absolutely, you know, got their one out of ten chance to take the three points, and they took it. Kale, do we see do we see Leon's title challenge uh, faltering? I, I suppose now that's uh, as Mo mentioned there. Obviously, we had the, the, their their home defeats a mess, um, which means that it's now two defeats in six, two defeats at home as well, despite uh, not having European football. Unlike Paris Saint Germain, unlike Lille. Um, is this a case of you know the, the the them taking their chances? Kind of things will redress themselves, given kind of how potent that attack is, and that these are just kind of bad days at the races, and you know they're they're inevitable. Or are we seeing something something bigger here potentially? You know, as I say, the the, the kind of signs that maybe just maybe Leon aren't quite uh, of the caliber to 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 get things over the line and to 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 win this title this season. Uh, well, I don't think I would go that far. I will say, you know, as Mo said, like that's a game that you really, really have to get. Um, yeah, I think that's a tough one. You know, I don't see Lille dropping off because I just think that they have looked the most consistent side. And I think the type of game that they play is just conducive to going out and sort of playing the same way every day. I think what Lyon really have to hope for is that PSG don't, get it together at any point this season and that they sort of just keep winning a lot of these matches by attrition. Uh, I, I will say to, you know, give Lyon some hope that I don't think this is the last match that one of these top three is going to lose. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they all lost one more this season. So I think they're definitely still in it. I think they can still win the title, but they really got to take those, those types of performances out of their locker. You know what I mean? I think Mo just hit on it perfectly in saying that, you know, you only have to play every seven days. You don't have to play in Europe. Your schedule is just not nearly as intense as Paris and, um, and Lille right now. So that's, those are just matches that you have to win. Hopefully for the sake of uh, DNA fans, they can start doing that, but yeah, they're still in it, but uh, they've definitely made things a lot more complicated this weekend a lot more complicated indeed uh, that, let's end this um the discussion of this match on a more positive note kale you obviously mentioned um the brilliance of, of teji savanier um here one goal uh 88 balls played 14 interceptions uh, which was a record for, for for the match by the way um on this podcast we've been quite critical i think of the drop-off in form he's had this season which has kind of coincided with Montpellier's drop-off but now that they're coming back into some form 
he, he seems to be as well. What, was this a vintage Teji Savanier performance for you? Oh, yeah. This was pure vintage Teji Savanier. Just an absolute nuisance in midfield, like just driving Lyon nuts. So physical, so aggressive. When he got on the ball, he just looked to make those progressive passes, those progressive passes that we like to see from him. This He was just excellent. He was the best player from Montpellier, I thought, by such a wide margin. And this is what they need. Like They need him to be this guy every single week. And now the pressure's on him to start producing. It is indeed. It is indeed. And they need consistent performances from him, you know, because he is the guy in that team to do that. And you look at the likes of Flora Mollet, uh, who may in the past, you know, have been the kind of fulcrum, the creative fulcrum of that midfield. But, um, but there is an undoubted, undoubted quality in Teju Savanier that that side need to be making use of. Um, our final match of the weekend that we will be discussing saw Bordeaux welcome Marseille to the Mammut Atlantique. Uh, Marseille had ended a run of seven games without a win by beating Auxerre in the Coupe de France midweek, but were without centre-back Alvaro and new signing Arcadius Milik up front. Host Bordeaux, meanwhile, were finding themselves in a bit of a rut uh, as well, having lost to rivals to lose in the Cup. Uh, to lose, of course, now in Ligue 2, and uh, also losing their last three Ligue 1 matches. Um, this could have been the game where Marseille got their mojo back, uh, but instead this was a very tense affair, which saw Marseille have two players sent off within four minutes in the second half. Uh, Leonardo Valerdi and Dario Benedetto both literally seeing red in the 55th and 59th minutes. Uh, Les Girondins, however, were unable to capitalise on their two-man advantage with the match ending nil-nil. Mo, I'll I'll come to you first um, on this one as our voice on all things Marseille. You know, you hear a lot about curses in football. Um, Obviously, there's that infamous Benfica curse where uh, Bella Gutmann, uh, their former coach, cursed the club um, after they didn't give him a pay rise and he left. Um, that they would never win a European trophy again. And of course, famously or infamously, I suppose, since then they've they've failed um, to win several European finals. Are Marseille cursed not to beat Bordeaux away from home? Um, yeah, I'm starting to think so. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I've, I've, I've been you know, following this curse in particular, so to speak, um, over the perhaps the last five, six years, I think this is when um, as Bordeaux have descended more and more into sort of mediocrity and being standard for for sort of sixth to tenth place finishes in the league, and then Marseille have nearly always now uh, finished above them. I've been looking to this fixture and thinking, you know, why haven't we got a result here? Um, and this this was that, you know, again, like I said last week, Bordeaux had lost three in a row, then lost in a cup. Um, and and Marseille thought, you know, you would have thought that despite losing to Paris Saint-Germain and, and Monaco, did sort of stabilise the ship, and particularly after a, an OK win in the Cup on Wednesday, that this would be this would be it. And it had been sort of funny, um, considering that some of the great teams of, you know, Marcelo Bielsa, Didier Deschamps, Rudy Garcia's side of, of recent times, but also back in the day, uh, you know, the, 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 the title winners of the 90s, the European champions, None of whom could get results um, in Bordeaux first at 
um, their old stadium, um, and now the the Magnet Atlantique. And um, yeah, you know, OM on paper, at least you know, do look like they've got a side to to take the three points. But last night that came to a very heady conclusion with with the dismissal of the two Argentines. Um, <laughs> you know, just soon after the second half began, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end, I think in the context, a point with nine men playing for nearly forty minutes is is a fantastic result, and I and, and it reminds me of the um, a, a recent game where we played uh, Bordeaux Marseille, and this was I think when Marseille were looking to um, I think it was in uh, Rudy Garcia's first season when they were looking just to claim European football, just so that they had something to build on. Um, and Morgan Samson scored like in the 93rd minute uh, in a match where I didn't really have any shots on goal. Um, so, like, yeah, there are moments when, yeah, the record, you'd love to beat it, but there are some results that you'll take and lift, lift to final the day for sure, and this was one of them. Yeah, I saw your uh, your tweet that you uh, that you said that if Marseille held on, it would be um, the result of the season or one of the results of the season. I might maybe misquoting you there, but but do you do you stand by that? And and also, do you feel that this could be a result um, or a platform to build on? You know, do you take the positives with this one? Absolutely, and I think first of all, um, you know, Marseille have I think performed admirably both. Um, you know, recently, but with with um, AVB this season, where they've had their back to the wall. I'm talking about the the early part of the season. Obviously, wins in Paris and 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 then and then at Lyon, uh, the the draw in Lyon. Um, you know, playing with ten men that was a ten men game for eighty minutes, for example. Um, and this this was essentially a fantastic performance. Paul Lerolle in particular looked looked really really good. Um, didn't tire. The young guys, Kamara and um, Perrin, looked really, really good at the back. You know, Perrin came off for Tolvan. Tolvan, surprisingly, was the man that was sacrificed immediately just to shore up the team. Whereas Valé Germain, who missed a guilt-head chance, which he should have taken, and had he taken that, probably Almasi would have finished the game with 11. Um, you know, he, he stayed on for for another 20, 25 minutes. Um so you, you have to praise all the guys that were on the pitch. I think the ones that were taken off last night in particular were very, very poor. Torban didn't offer much at all again. And I think his time to oh, in, at, at Marseille is coming to a very... Uh, Mikel, Mikel Cuisance, who's on loan from Bayern Munich, had another very, very poor game, offered nothing in midfield. And I don't think he's a player that's going to be staying pretty long. Um, and, and Germain, you know, again, I think he... A player that's you know very maligned uh, for the team, um, you know Benedetto was off, um, and he's he's also one that's not really firing on all cylinders either. But Germain is one that the fans have griped on for a, for a long, long time, and he had the chance to to really sort of show some leadership and put away a very guilt-edged chance, which he he failed, and that's what led to at least the first sending off because Bordeaux managed to counter straight away, um, but. Yeah, you know, there's something to build on. There's absolutely something to build on. They know that they've got the mental capacity and and the fighting spirit to negotiate harder challenges because they can seemingly play just as well with nine as they do with eleven half the time. So there's <laughs> there's something to build on. And obviously, with with the talk of a new coach still uh, a little you know further away, they've got tough games in February, and the coach might not come till early March. Um, they're just going to have to really power on the soldier through this moment. 
Yeah, I must say that that um, Germain miss you alluded to in particular there that happened right before the the first red card was particularly um, astounding. It was awful. I think it was awful. <laughs> the, 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 so bad. No, it was awful. And I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be. Um, I was speaking with with one of our one of my close friends who's an Arsenal fan, and he he he, he obviously doesn't know who Germain is and what's you know what sort of profile that the strike has. And I just simply said to him, he's our William. He, he really is. He's just, <laughs> he, he is our William. He's just, you know, somebody that, unfortunately, for, for, for one reason or another, cannot impose on, on the field. And I do feel sorry, you know, in certain regards, because I think he's a player that's playing sort of up front and in a profile that he can't really manage his place off the striker, mm-hmm. um, etc. But, um, you know, there are chances and there are chances, you know, and you can't miss that. Yeah, as, as as a Chelsea fan, I can um, I can relate to. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a huge admirer and and have fond fond uh, memories of Willian, but um, uh, for his time at Chelsea. But there were times where it did feel like you know there was option A, option and option B, and Willian chose option Z, and and that's kind of what it <laughs> felt like with with Germain in in that moment in that match. It's definitely worth a look if you if you haven't seen that uh, listener. Um, moving on to 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 Bordeaux, Kale. What do you think's gone awry in in recent weeks, if if anything indeed has? Because, you know, that Bordeaux it was only seems like only a few weeks ago, which it was that that um, you and I were having a discussion on this show with, with Eric, and we were talking about the sh- the signing of uh, Jean Michael Serry and and how perhaps him coming into the side made Bordeaux kind of outside, if if not, I think Eric said perhaps the main favourites to to qualify for the Europa League now and push on, which which just hasn't happened. Um, are there issues attacking ones because you know playing playing over half an hour against nine men um, and not being able to capitalise on that is pretty pretty damning. I mean that that late miss from Nicolas de Preville um, was was pretty shocking. And when you've got a, a number nine who you've just shipped out on loan, scoring two goals on his uh, Premier League uh, starts, uh, first Premier League starts. Uh, you know that's pretty pretty damning as well. Although of course uh, Josh Major had his had his troubles in Ligue 1 at Bordeaux. But yeah, what do you feel? Um, if anything has kind of gone awry for them in recent weeks, or, or what are they kind of struggling with? Uh, well, I mean, especially in that OM game, I thought they just were really struggling between the lines. You know, at the end of the match, we should give OM a lot of credit. They were really compact. They gave them the flanks and. Uh, and when Bordeaux got the ball out there, they really didn't have much they could do. They they committed a lot of crosses and didn't get a lot done. So kudos to OM on that front. But you know when you are up two men for that long, you you have to score a goal. And I just thought there was no action really in the center of the park between the lines. And you know I'm going to say something that maybe some people think is potentially blasphemous, but I think you got to ask questions about just how centered do you want your attack around Hatem Ben Arfa at this point in time. Because when I watch Bordeaux, I think the ball goes to Ben Arfa a lot, and certainly he can make stuff happen and create some shots, but I see a lot of running down narrow alleys into three defenders, and then it's kind of stop up, push the ball back, and you start all over again. I also see him create a lot of very terrible shots from way outside the area that he almost always takes on himself. And I just think Ben Arfa for me is not a guy at his age that you can really rely on to be producing consistently. 
And I think they have a player in Yasin Adli who they just really have to put their offense. They have to allow mm. him to control their offense. And I thought he got on the ball a decent amount last night, but not nearly as much as I'd like to see. I also thought as the match progressed, you know, it was clear that he wanted to be in a deeper position to create play, but he wasn't really allowed to do that. He was still stuck in this sort of hybrid eight position that they were using him in. And I thought they were most effective when they allowed him to come a bit deeper, take over play and start dictating their offense. I'd like to see that a little bit more from them. And I'd like to see Ben Arfa stop playing so wide on the wing and trying to cut in constantly. You know what I mean? Play in the half space more, be in between the lines. I thought Remy Udana actually did a decent job of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, there just wasn't enough happening in the center of the pitch. And I think that's going to continue to be an issue and still they, until they start looking at this system and maybe making those types of adjustments. Yeah, I too would be very intrigued to see uh, Yassin Adli being given the reins a little bit more in, you know, in the attacking midfield uh, department rather than playing this kind of this hybrid eight, as you as you put it um, so eloquently there, Kale. I think that would be very intriguing indeed. Um, let's move on now to our uh, final section of the show where we uh, bring any kind of talking points, anything we may have missed, be it a match, a moment, or a, an item of news um, to the table uh, that we haven't already discussed. Um, Mo, I'll, I'll come to you first because maybe you can tell us a bit about the uh, communique that Marseille put out today that you were discussing with us at the, uh, at the top of the show just before recording. Yeah, um, so I think for, for the listeners, there was a... Um, there was a statement put out by OM earlier that I think it was the consequence of um, what happened in the training ground, I think, two weeks ago now, um, which basically a consultation for, for supporters groups, working groups to be set up to to sort of engage the fan culture and move away from some of the unsavoury scenes that were uh, going on uh, two weeks ago. And I think, uh, you know, you, you don't have to be a magician, magician to... to to sort of un- unveil the tense situation uh, that's been going on between uh, the club the institution and its supporters at the moment, um, and not just for results, but sort of off-the-field stuff as well. Um, so unsurprisingly, you know, this consultation has gone down really poorly um, with some of the supporters, and I think it's just been um, a very difficult moment for all parties, because I think on the one hand, objectively, anything that could build a better dialogue to move away from the situation that transpired a couple of weeks ago is is a positive thing, but also anything that can be seen to diminish the unique sort of fan culture, which is the unique selling point for OLM, I think it's the number one image for OLM around the world, um, can be you know massively damaging. And I think a lot of people who see themselves, the sports groups, who see themselves as the custodians of Marseille. And custodian is the word that the ownership Frank McCourt has used many, many times. You know, he's, he's often alluded to the fact that while he might be the owner in name, you know, him and his family and his advisors are just passing through Marseille in terms of, you know, it masters the club and it belongs to the city, belongs to its people, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So the whole situation does feel, you know, completely at loggerheads and, it's just a sort of another dimension to everything that's going on at the club at the moment. Because on one hand, you've got um, you know something that's been resolved for now is the you know the TV rights, but you've also got economic um, difficulties, uh, the coronavirus, for example. 
um, the the players, um, the, the results haven't been good, but also yeah, the contracts for key players are going to end. Uh, the team is obviously managerless at the moment. Um, so there just seems to be difficulty in every aspect of the club at the moment, uh, which may translate and seep into the the the, the on the field um, results because the players obviously are well connected as well, and they see everything that's going on on social media and 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 whatnot. Um, so we'll see how that transpires in the next couple of weeks. But really, it does feel, um, and Marseille has had difficult moments before. You know, this is not something unique, unlike perhaps what other clubs might might you know find themselves in but it really does feel at least you know in the last five years um one of the you know real deep crises shall we say at the club it does indeed and you've got to think anything um anything that kind of threatens the the ultra culture if you like of marseille which is so important i think it was only only last week we were talking about um the reason why Jorge Sampaoli said he was so attracted to Marseille and it was, you know, that that fan culture that you get at clubs, that 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 fervent support that you get at clubs like Marseille and, and Galatasaray as well. You know, um, anything that puts a, a threat to, to, to that is, is, you know, is, well, terrible for the game, terrible for Marseille, but also, you know, will surely result in more uproar, more uprising from the Marseille supporters. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly sure this is this is a good thing in any any sense um uh, we will see how this develops though uh kale what about you anything anything that you'd like to bring to the table yeah i just wanted to bring up uh ren for a second you know i watched them again this weekend play against um Sinatien and i thought they were once again kind of, they were really poor to be frank and i think you know i just think it's maybe time that start discussing a little bit more of Julien Stéphane, what he's done this season there. You know, I think Ren had really, really high expectations coming into the season. They made a lot of aggressive moves in the transfer market, bringing in Terrier, Yoku, I think, I thought was an excellent signing, uh, Guirassi and a few others. And I just think they've really fallen flat. They've greatly underperformed this season. You know, I don't... I. I I haven't seen them string together a series of maybe even three consistently strong performances all year. And I think the pressure's got to be on there. I think there's a lot of good players and this could potentially be, you know, I don't want to say for sure, but, you know, Guardo Camavinga isn't going to stick around there forever. And I think they potentially missed a pretty significant window here. You know, we thought that they would be in the conversation again for European places or even challenging with the additions that they made for the Champions League and now you know they're closer to the conversation with Bordeaux and and Lens and Metz and teams like that and I just think that it's been kind of disappointing from my perspective to watch them put forth this performance and I think questions have to start being asked. Yeah we haven't actually had a chance to, to, to talk about Ren on the show recently but um I think even even more recently, when they showed kind of signs of a of a revival after that really dreadful run that they were on for most of most of autumn, you know things have kind of fallen apart almost again. Um, do you think do you think a lot of the blame, or do you feel um, a lot of the blame does lie with Julian Stefan Kale, or, or do you think uh, that the recruitment that you kind of alluded to there does has played a part? I guess. Not not perhaps solely the recruitment itself, because, you know, the likes of Girassi was clearly a very good signing at the start of the season. They did well to replace Edouard Menzi with, with Gomis from, from Dijon. And um, um, the likes of uh, 
Naif Aguerd as well, obviously, has performed very well this season. But you think like um, Girassi has been injured for, for most of the season. Rugani was clearly a terrible signing in that he, he never got a chance to perform. Do you, do you think, you know, Stefan would be justified in kind of pointing to the recruitment and actually saying, well, well, look, you know, these guys have come in but haven't really improved the side that we had last season? Or, or do you think that um, actually, you know, a lot of the blame for this form we're seeing this season, this, the levels of performance that we've seen this season do lie with the coach? I think there's definitely question marks around some of the players they brought in. I thought Delbert was one of the weirder transfers that I saw this, this summer. But, you know, this is a good team. Like when you look at um, position by position compared to a lot of the other clubs that they're battling with, I think this is a really quite a good squad. You know, losing Rafinha didn't help. He was, I thought, their best offensive player last season by a pretty fair margin. So obviously that's going to hurt. But, you know, they did a lot to shore him up and they spent a lot of money to do that. And I just think I can't really see a consistent tactical approach from Stefan. You know, if I'm being totally honest, I think they were one of the teams that was really lucky that the season ended when it did last year. Because mm. I think if you played that season out, it might have been much more difficult for them to have finished in Champions League places. So I thought this was this summer was a real opportunity. You know, given what happened with the Liga right that was in flux but they were always going to be guaranteed that champions league money and they had an opportunity to take their program really to another level especially when you look at some of the sacrifices that Lyon was going to be forced to make uh, or Lille coming out of the champions league and into the europa league and i just think they've they've taken a pretty significant step backwards so i, I think some of the blame maybe you can put on on the recruitment i think that's fair but i think stefan has to wear some of this and that you know, this is a good team, and, and for me, they, they should be doing better. Yeah, it does really feel like a missed opportunity. And, and as you, I don't think there'd be anyone who would disagree that um, we've talked about it on this show before that, that had the season carried on. I'm sure Lille would have overtaken Ren based on the kind of the form that both sides were uh, in. I would also just like to bring to the table the fact that Nantes finally have their win uh, and finally seem to have their manager. It is, of course, <laughs> Antoine Kumbuare's return to, to Ligue 1, the manager who's become a bit of a figure of fun is perhaps the wrong word, but, you know, a kind of relegation specialist almost in his recent tenures, uh, recent spells at, at Dijon and Gangomp um, um, and the like. But, of course, this was a guy who um, was the, technically, I guess, the, 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 la the last manager before uh, the QSI era um, and was uh, replaced while top of the league with PSG in December 2011 um, by uh, Carlo Ancelotti uh, with PSG eventually dropping down to second of course and conceding that title um, to um, Montpellier but you know maybe maybe a bit of the the Comboare magic is back because he's he's managed to get to get Nantes um, back in back in gear you know two goals in the first 10 minutes um, our, our our man Imran Luza scoring a penalty of course who we were talking about on the show last week and also Ludovic Bla getting two assists the, uh, another guy who we were we've praised um, quite a lot on this show so yeah 3-1 win over over rivals Angers away from home pretty pretty good result and you know Comboare's back maybe Nanta back so watch this space anyway that will be all from us uh, here this evening um, a big thank you for your time guys as always make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from the world of French football 
and please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Muhammad Ali and Kale Stockwell. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.